Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every weekday at noon east. Show. There are efforts underway right now to avoid an all-out regional war in the Middle East, with President Biden heading to Tel Aviv. We are hearing he will meet with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and then travel to Jordan for a sit-down with the Jordanian, Egyptian, and Palestinian leaders. One of the big issues right now, what to do with the refugees from Gaza. Jordan's King Abdullah, uh, just warning that he will not be accepting the refugees. They will not be coming into Jordan. They will not be going into Egypt, he added, saying a flat out no to that idea today. What about us? AOC's got a very different view. This issue has sparked a fierce debate right here at home. My first guess is at the center of that storm. He says America cannot accept people from Gaza uh, and obviously on the opposite side of AOC. But is he on the opposite side of some of the other Republican presidential candidates. Joining me now, 2024 Republican presidential candidate and Florida governor, Ron DeSantis. Governor DeSantis, welcome back to the show. Good to have you. And so um, you took the position yesterday that it's a no on Gaza refugees coming into the United States. Nikki Haley then went on CNN and reacted to your comments. Let me kick it off with what she said to Jake Tapper yesterday in SOT1. You know, I dealt with this every day for two years. And, you know, what I can tell you is you have to realize that whether we're talking about Gazans and Palestinians, um, you know, all of them don't. You've got half of them at the time that I was there didn't want to be under Hamas's rule. They didn't want to have terrorists overseeing them. They knew that they were living a terrible life because of Hamas. You had the other half that supported Hamas and wanted to be a part of that. We see that with Iran, too. The Iranian people don't want to be under that Iranian regime. They don't. We saw what happened to Masa Amini. We saw how they treat them. There are so many of these people who want to be free from this terrorist rule. They want to be free from all of that. And America's always been sympathetic to the fact that you can separate civilians from terrorists. And that's what we have to do. What do you make of it, Governor? That's just bizarre. I mean, first of all, I said over the weekend, no, no Gaza refugees. They should go to the Arab nations. Most of the other GOP candidates have now followed suit. I think that that's that that's good. Uh, here's the thing. Hamas has support in Gaza. They were initially elected. Uh, people in the streets in Gaza were cheering the attacks. Uh, they have created a culture there where they teach the kids to hate Jews. The textbooks don't have Israel even on the map. Uh, and so these are things that are celebrated. So it's really a toxic culture. It's not a question of whether everyone is a, a member of Hamas or a terrorist or not. The question is, do you want to be importing those pathologies from the Middle East into our country. And what Nikki Haley is, is suggesting is somehow you can choose, you know, okay, you're Hamas, you don't come to America. And yet these other people that are not, they're really just freedom lovers. And I learned a, a lesson serving in Iraq, Megan, because remember the Iraq campaign started for WMD, but then when that was elusive, the mission kind of changed to quote democracy in the Middle East. And the argument was made by a lot of American policymakers that if you just got rid of these tyrannical regimes, people would be able to seek freedom and have democratic governments, and then there, there wouldn't be uh, a market for terrorism. Well, what you found out when you were on the ground there for probably 48 hours is their conception of freedom was a lot different than our conception of freedom. 
uh, on the ground in Iraq, the typical Sunni Arab or Shia Arab or, Sh or Shia Muslim, they believe freedom meant a government that subscribed to Sharia law or Islamic rule. So it's just a fundamentally different culture, uh, and it's not our role to be to be trying to import that into the United States. So Nikki Haley's just wrong about that. And quite frankly, it's dangerous. I mean, one of the things in the aftermath of this, Megan, that's been chilling for me to watch is before the blood was even dry on these innocent Israelis who were massacred, you had people in our own country taking to the streets, demonstrating in favor of Hamas and what they did. That's a sickness in our society. And I don't think we want to expand that by importing people who would share those views. She we reached out to the Haley campaign today. She also spoke to Fox News and she gave us the following statement saying Nikki Haley opposes taking in Gazans. She thinks Hamas supporting countries like Iran, Qatar and Turkey should take any refugees. And she went on from there. So now she's trying to make clear that she opposes taking in Gazans. We went back and said, does that apply to Palestinians in general, too, not just those who live in Gaza? And she said, yes, she, she's now trying to clarify that she opposes taking well, but, refugees. But Megan, I mean, yeah, that's great. And I'm glad she's flipped. But why would you even have the discussion about vetting people and saying you can separate one from the other unless you were saying we would import them? Why would we why would we be vetting people if they're just going to go uh, uh, take up shop in Egypt? We'd have no role in that. So clearly that's what she was indicating uh, she got a lot of blowback from it because it's an untenable position. And so now she's changed. And I think that that's, that's welcome. But I do think it shows an instinct on her behalf to, one, try to cater to elite opinion. Because my view of no refugees from Gaza, that's supported by probably massive percentage of Americans, probably not that popular in elite circles. And I think she tries to cater to that. But then the other thing is, I do think she's still suffering under the illusions, which should have been wiped away after dealing with Iraq and Afghanistan, that somehow people in that part of the world just yearn to live in American-style democracy and freedom. That is not uh, what they're after. Uh, the average person in Gaza that's been, that's been taught to hate Jews, you know, their view is they don't necessarily want their own state. What they seek is the destruction of the Jewish state. And that is not limited to Hamas. That is a widespread deeply embedded belief amongst Palestinian Arabs in the Gaza Strip. Um, we've also had a debate here uh, internally and externally about the Americans who are supporting this terrorist group, Hamas. It's been stunning to watch college professor after college professor, not to mention student groups. Students for Justice in Palestine is generally what they call themselves, but they're all different kinds of Arab supporting groups taking to the streets now in support of Hamas against Israel. These are Americans, Americans who are throwing their support behind Hamas in the wake of this absolute atrocity that we've seen, these terrorist acts committed against Israelis. There was a, a debate that unfolded over the weekend when Vivek Ramaswamy tweeted out, these folks should not be blacklisted. You've seen some CEOs uh, come out and say, we're not hiring them. If you're going to sign this letter and you're going to say you support Hamas and not Israel, we're not hiring you. Uh, Vivek came out and saw it differently and said, um, I'm quoting here, it's not productive for companies to blacklist kids for being members of student groups that make dumb political statements on campus. Colleges are spaces for students to experiment with ideas. And sometimes kids join clubs that endorse boneheadedly wrong ideas, saying he opposes cancel culture, whether it's from the left or the right, calling this cancel culture. What do you make of it? Megan, it's not cancer, cancel culture. Uh, to say that somebody's celebrating 
the beheading of infants, the execution of elderly, some of the most barbaric actions uh, that we've seen in our lifetime. If you look at what they did, what the Hamas terrorists did, as bad as Al-Qaeda and ISIS and some of their worst moments, uh, I think this has reached an even new low from there. So the idea that you would go out and celebrate that as a good thing, uh, that is absolutely the type of person that you should not want to hire. Uh, I would not hire any of those people uh, who, who were doing that. And it raises a larger issue. What the hell is going on in American universities nowadays? Uh, this would not have happened during World War II when the Japanese attacked us. You would not have seen, you did not see, uh, student groups going out there and, and celebrating that. Uh, and yet here, because uh, remember, Americans were massacred too. It wasn't just Israelis, and Americans are still being held hostage as well as Israelis. Uh, to be able to go out and do that, um, it's a sickness in these institutions. And I think it's a reason why, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if someone came to a job with like, they graduated from like Harvard, oh, wow, you know, that's great. Now you see that resume to me. I run the other way. I mean, I'm assuming that there's a lot of problems embedded into whatever has been fed into that student because of how toxic the culture has gotten on our universities. What I will say is this, though. Any of those students who are here on visas, those visas should be canceled and they should be repatriated back to their home country. That's a no-brainer. Why would we want to uh, welcome people into this country uh, who are totally hostile to basic American decency and values? Well, that's that's a very interesting prospect. I mean, that's closer to, you know, ideological beliefs can get you deported. That's what Trump has been saying. And I get it. I get it. I mean, these people have no desire to assimilate to the United States values at all. None whatsoever. They want to come over here and call for jihad or support terrorism against Israelis. How are they ever going to align with us? But of course, it will be considered controversial, right, to cancel visas based on ideological differences. Well, of course it's controversial, but here's the thing, Megan, it used to be, you know, if you had shown up at Ellis Island in 1900 uh, and you were saying that you supported Islamic Jihad, for example, which they probably weren't <laughs> thinking in those terms right at that time, although, you know, our country did fight the Barbary pirates under Jefferson. So they had they had experience dealing with terrorism from the beginning with the founders, but that probably wouldn't have been necessary. You would have been turned away from Ellis Island if you came and you rejected the basic foundational principles of America, you would have been rejected from coming into this country. That would have been non-negotiable. So you know, when I'm president, we are going to ensure that nobody is admitted legally to this country who uh, doesn't uh, believe in the basic values of America. We have robust debates in this country. There's no question. You could have different views on tax policy, immigration policy, all this stuff. It makes it uh, robust. It makes it, it makes it a great country. But uh, if you are just somebody who rejects basic Western values, uh, basic conception of freedom, then that's not something that's good. And we can learn a lesson from what Europe has done uh, over the last 10 or 20 years. They did mass immigration from parts of the world that rejected uh, their values. And what happened is those people, because they were coming in such big numbers, they didn't assimilate into those societies so much as they've now tried to change those societies to mimic the societies they had left. That's not how America's always been. It's always been people come and they assimilate into our way of life. Uh, that is something that's been kind of frowned on by our elites in recent years, but it's just simply unsustainable for a country that's based on this founding creed uh, to continue being a strong country 
you know, if we're importing large numbers of people that reject the basic conception of America. You have um, Trump out yesterday. Yeah, it was Monday in Iowa making the following point about when he was president. Take a listen. Under my leadership, the world's thugs and villains and killers and savages were in retreat and running scared. They were running scared. All because you had a president who stood up for America. We took a lot of heat. Heinous attacks on Israel this month would never have happened if I was your president. Zero chance of that happening. But most importantly, we will keep the radical Islamic terrorists the hell out of our country. Does he have a fair point? I mean, were we better off, safer with him as president? Well, I mean, I think if you look at what Biden's done, I mean, there's no question we're in a decline in terms of U.S. prestige abroad, economic strength at home, rule of law deteriorating. I mean, it's really, really bad. Uh, so, so in that sense, of course, it is true, though. I mean, you know, they were firing rockets from Gaza uh, during Trump's presidency. There was conflict. This is an attack on a different level no question. Uh, but that was still happening. There were still there were still problems in the world. I think with Biden, uh, I think he's made unique errors by one thinking that he can have a rapprochement with the Iranians. Now, this six billion was an outrage. And I said it at the time in August when it was first announced. But they've done tens of billions into Iran's coffers through relaxing the sanctions on the energy. That has been the mother's milk of Middle East terrorism in the last few years. And Iran has been using that to fund, of course, Hezbollah and Hamas. And Biden, to this day, they still think they can have a rapprochement with Iran. They haven't done anything to really turn the screws on them. My fear on this trip that he's making in there is he wants basically behind the scenes to have Israel let take their foot off the gas, not go whole hog against Hamas, because he wants to be able to preserve the ability uh, to play footsie with the Iranians. So, so they've just been wrong on almost everything, and, and America's paying the price. But I do think what we need going forward, I mean, I think we need strong leadership. I think we need drama-free leadership. I think we need somebody that's going to get in there and focus on the country's issues, is going to be distracted with any of, of, of personal issues, is going to be distracted with all these other things that ultimately you know, aren't going to turn the country around. So I'll be a very focused and disciplined president. There'll definitely be a new regime uh, when I get there, and there'll be a lot of changes that we'll make from the Biden presidency. You are taking some control, what control you can take as a governor of part of this situation, trying to get uh, Americans who are in Israel uh, back home. And are you also trying to get Israelis out? Uh, because I understand you're, you've sent planes now over to Israel and you're getting people out who need to get out, who want to get out, people with families, people with children. You and your wife and your children were there to visit and greet some of them in some moving tape uh, that we've seen. And I, I wonder exactly who are you helping get out of Israel? And you, unlike the federal government, are doing it on your dime and uh, not charging these people in the middle of a war to get on the plane. So explain what you've been doing and, and who you're helping and why. Yeah, so uh, we have a lot of Floridians that are over in Israel. We've got great uh, synergy between our state and that, and that country. So we knew there'd be people that wanted to get back, many hundreds, maybe even more than a thousand. And they were not getting any luck with the State Department or with the embassy. So I did an executive order last week uh, activating Florida emergency response uh, to be able to bring planes in there and take people back home. So we had the first plane of 271 on Sunday night. The thing about that, Megan, is there were 91 children. Uh, you know, I had mothers that had that were stranded with three or four kids. I had I had one family with 10 kids 
that they were trying to get back uh, to Florida. Now, we didn't limit it to just Floridians because if there's people that are struggling to get to Georgia or New York or whatever, uh, we're all Americans and we want to help people. But it is it is limited to Americans. I'll tell you this, though. Um, you can come across the southern border and the federal government will fly you all across the country free of charge. They'll put you up in nice hotels at taxpayer expense. They're not charging the illegal aliens, yet they're going to charge people fleeing a war zone and then dump them in Greece. They're not even bringing them back to the United States. So we have more flights coming. Uh, next one will be tomorrow morning. We are taking people from Israel, but we're also going to stop in Athens, Greece, to pick up people that the federal government may have stranded. Uh, and so we anticipate uh, many hundreds more that we'll be able to uh, rescue over the next couple of days, and, and we're happy to do it. I'll tell you, uh, you knew people needed to get out. Uh, but then when we greeted people and they were telling stories, it really brought it home. I mean, I had one mother point to her six-year-old daughter, and my wife and I have a six-year-old as well, and she said that, the, that her daughter was saying, Mommy, I don't want to hear rockets anymore. I don't want the rockets. I just want Florida. We got to get back to Florida. So they were really, really excited to be back. And when there's a void of leadership, you got to step up and make a difference. So we were able to do that. And we're proud, proud to have played an important role. Mm, good for you. Um, how involved should we be getting in this conflict? Because people are worried. Americans, even those who support Israel strongly, are worried about a possible ground war, God forbid, U.S. troops getting a request to go in and help if this breaks out into regional war. We're already fighting a proxy war with Russia in Ukraine. I mean, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to ask of the American people, both from their you know coffers and from our blood and treasure and our military. Um, and so even though I know you're pro-Israel and I'm pro-Israel too, there is some concern about just how involved the U.S. should get in this conflict. How do you see it? Well, one of the things that I've appreciated about the U.S.-Israel relationship and our support for them is they've never asked us to assume responsibilities that they should be assuming for themselves. They work very hard to have a strong and capable military support. We've given them over the years, whether it's Iron Dome or some of these other programs, that has supplemented what they're doing for themselves. So they are not going to ask us to displace that uh, in all of the Israel's conflicts for 75 years. You know, U.S. ground troops have not been a part of that. There's no uh, basis uh, to do that for us. I don't think that that's really uh, where where we're going to show so, show support. I think where we show support is primarily the moral clarity to say Israel has a right to defend itself and they have a right to eliminate Hamas. I mean, I have all these people out there. They're, they're trying to magnify Israel as the problem. They're attacking Israel. They're not calling for Hamas to release the hostages. They're not calling for Hamas to have an unconditional surrender. If you're worried about the civilian casualties that Hamas is trying to inflict by using them as human shields, you should be calling for Hamas to make an unconditional surrender and to release the hostages. People aren't doing that. So they're going to need us. And I don't think Biden's going to do this over the long haul. But America should stand with them and say they have, a, they have the right to not only defend themselves, but to end this problem with Hamas once and for all. There's going to be a lot of pressure from the U.N., all these other places uh, to, to tell Israel to back off. But they can't live like this where they could have so many of their people massacred in cold blood. So I think that's the main thing, not U.S. troops, but that strong support. And we'll continue with the military relationship that we have, intelligence. Uh, the types of, of small amounts of aid, relatively speaking, when you think about it. The other thing I think we can do that could be helpful is 
turn on the full panoply of sanctions against Iran, particularly with respect to energy, to deprive the Iranian regime of the sustenance they need to continue funding these terror groups. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if Biden had just come in and taken a hard line against the Iranians, who knows whether this operation would have even been able to have happened uh, without the amount of money that Iran has pumped into that area over the last two and a half years. So I think those are two really important things. But ultimately, um, this is not something that's going to be an American ground war. We, of course, do have an interest in recovering the hostages that are American citizens. And I'm sure that uh, the Biden administration does have people on the ground. We, we've got some people that are wired for that, that can do that. Uh, but ultimately, it's Israel's war. We should support them. Uh, but it's not something we should get enmeshed in with our own ground troops. Mm. Uh, last question. Domestic politics. Something big is unfolding today in the House, where you used to work uh, for a time as a member of the House of Representatives. And uh, they're trying to get another, they're trying to find a new House Speaker. And at last count, uh, late last night, it didn't look like Jim Jordan, who's the, you know, the, the candidate now for the Republicans, was going to have enough support. But, you know, what did it take Kevin McCarthy 15 votes in order for him to finally get the support? Do you support Jim Jordan uh, for Speaker? And what do you make of this whole mess we've seen in the House? Yes, I think that the Republicans should, should vote for Jim on the floor. I think he would do a good job. He'd be the most conservative speaker uh, that we've had uh, maybe ever, but certainly in many, many years. And I think he's more reflective of the voter base that we as Republicans have. And one of the things that we've seen for, man, a decade or more is that the D.C. Republican political class doesn't reflect uh, the views and the aspirations of the voters that put them there. It's like they, they campaign on all the right things. Then they go up there. And then they go native and they kind of have a different agenda. And I think that's why you've had a lot of dissatisfaction over the years. So hopefully they'll do that. But, but from my vantage point down here in Florida, what I'm seeing is there's just a lot of chaos. There's a lot of palace intrigue. There's a lot of drama, but there hasn't been very much results. And ultimately, as a leader, you're judged by the results that you produce. In Florida, we don't do political empty calories. We don't do any of the palace intrigue or drama. It's just execution. Because as a leader, I'm going to be judged by the results that I do. So, you know, we talk about spending. They haven't done anything on that. You know, we have big surpluses in Florida. We've paid down almost 25% of our debt. You talk about foreign threats. We've banned the purchase of land by the Chinese Communist Party. We've leaned in on illegal immigration by banning sanctuary cities. On and on down the line, we've produced real results. And I think that's why Florida has gone from a state that had typically been viewed as a toss-up state uh, to now... Uh, a Republican state and one that's really leading all 50 states on so many different issues. So I just hope that they realize, you know, you're not up there to get clicks. You're not up there to send fundraising emails. Um, ultimately, what you're there to do is deliver results. People are paying way too much for groceries. Interest rates have made home purchases unaffordable for millions of Americans. We have an open border, which not only is killing people with fentanyl, it's created a huge risk of terrorist attacks in our own country. We have crime in the inner cities. We've got problems with the education system and the disrespect that parents are feeling. So these are things people want to see action on. So my hope is they'll elect Jim and then they'll get to work on all those issues because if we're producing results on those things, um, you know, the public is going to have a, a positive response. If they're running around like chickens with their head cut off, 
then it gives the Democrats the ability to, to say that, oh, yeah, you know, maybe our results aren't great, but at least we can show up and, and, and run things, um, you know, appropriately in terms of having a speaker or whatnot. Why would we want to give them that satisfaction to be able to use that to beat us over the head with? So, so get your act together, get behind JJ, and let's try to move forward. And look, take notes for what we've done in Florida. I mean, we've shown how to do it. You know, we now have super majorities in the legislature, Megan, but I didn't have that when I came in. Uh, and we worked, we got things done, and people responded positively, and they've entrusted us with more uh, members and, and more authority to do even more stuff. Well, you also picked a big fight with Disney, and they recently signaled they're going to move away from all the woke nonsense. Uh, so thumbs up on that, though. We'll see whether they mean it. I've got my doubts. I'm sure you do, too. First of all, I don't, I don't like them getting involved in our politics, and we fought back appropriately. But if they cut the woke out, they will do better as a company. Uh, yes. They're going in this tangent has hurt their stock price. Families don't trust them anymore where it used to be when I was growing up in Florida. You know, Disney was the gold standard for family entertainment. We just want our kids to be kids. And I speaking as a parent of a six, five and a three year old. We want our kids to be kids. We don't want an agenda. You know, let adults fight these issues out, but get back to what made you great. And if they do that, I do think that they will be in much better shape. I wonder, though, whether the culture in Burbank is, uh, is such that they can ever uh, really get back on track. We will see. Uh, but I think that people have voted with their wallets because I think a lot of parents have been dissatisfied uh, with some of the stuff that they've been putting out. And not just on our bill, all the programming, I think a lot of parents have said, nah, not my cup of tea. Yeah. No, you're so right. When we were growing up, you'd hear that na 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 and you you know, it kind of gave you the warm feeling. You knew it was going to be wholesome family entertainment, you know, something sweet about a dog and a life lesson and not somebody trying to trans your kid. It was it's really gone in a yeah. different direction. I don't think anyone I don't think anyone in our generation ever saw a Disney cast member at a theme park, a man wearing a dress. I mean, we just never saw no. that kind of stuff. And now they're doing it. And, and it's just it's just inappropriate. But I do think it's been counterproductive for their own company. So hopefully that they're they get on a better track. Ultimately, though, for me, um, I'm going to fight woke agenda, whether it's in the legislature, corporate America, wherever it is, because I think it's corrosive to the country. Anytime these institutions become corrupted by this agenda, um, they end up uh, performing poorly and they lose legitimacy. We've seen that with colleges. We've seen that with bureaucracies. Uh, we've seen that uh, in district attorney's offices where they let the criminals run free in places like Chicago and Philadelphia. So it's had a huge impact on our society in a negative way. I think the tide is turning in our favor on it, but we got a lot of w uh, work to do to be able to leave the woke agenda and the dustbin of history where it belongs. Mm. Governor DeSantis, all the best to you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to stay on Israel with Josh Hammer of Newsweek. He's been so great in covering this whole thing from the beginning. And I'm looking forward to getting his take on a couple of big, big uh, stories that have broken around it today. So stay tuned. I'm joined now by Josh Hammer. He's the senior editor at large for Newsweek and host of the podcast, The Josh Hammer Show. Josh, thanks for being here today. There's been so much reporting on the atrocities that have been committed against the Israelis. It's like drinking from a fire hose to try to keep track of it all. It's overwhelmingly awful, um, but we're trying, we're trying. And one of the things that we saw in some of the nutcase reaction, both in the United States and Canada, was a couple of people being like, 
the beheaded babies, it's a lie. We've seen even Americans online, even right wingers. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's AI. It's it's nuts. I mean, what they're saying. So we actually went back and just pulled some of the firsthand reporting from CBS News, from ABC News, from I-24 News, from the Jerusalem Post, all either saying themselves the actual reporters had witnessed it or interviewing senior IDF um, members who had witnessed it themselves. And we put it together just to set the record straight once and for all. Here's just a, a, a sampling of what we found. Israelis tell us that in one attack on a kibbutz, Hamas terrorists took brutality to a new level, even decapitating children and babies. Now, that is coming to us not only from the Israeli Defense Forces, but also the organization that has the grim task of retrieving bodies. In every apartment, you can say... They're literally right around us in the rooms, dead bodies, their bodies. And, you know, see, if they lost themselves, they... Born the they burn the apartments. Them. They shoot the baby. They cut the head. He saw 19 bodies at this house, including eight babies. I saw that baby beheaded. Beheaded. This is something that monsters do, not humans. Babies, their heads cut off. That's what they said. Gunned down. Families completely gunned down in their beds. You can see some of these soldiers right now comforting each other. I'm sorry to begin it on such a dark note, but I'm just sick and tired of people pretending like, A, that's a lie, and B, like it matters how they killed the babies, like trying to find this distinction without a difference. Uh, Megan, first of all, I'm a longtime fan of yours, and thank you so much for your genuinely very strong stand over this very difficult week and a half. It has been seen by everyone, and it is remarkably appreciated. So really sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. When it gets to this question here, I mean, your your reaction is totally correct, which is ultimately, who cares? I mean, would these people who are making this up, and obviously they are transparently making up, would these people be satisfied if these Hamas savages, these barbaric medieval death cult butcherers, if they had not decapitated the babies, but had merely shot them execution style in their cribs while their crib was rocking back and forth at point blank range? At what point do they purport or, or do they claim that they would be satisfied? It's obviously an inherently illogical point. It is a total red herring. Ultimately, what is going on here, the people that are spouting off this complete and utter nonsense. They are just getting off to dead Jew porn. And they frankly would prefer it to be a slightly different way, maybe. Maybe they would prefer it to be via bullet and not via jihadist machete. But all of this is coming from a deeply, deeply dark place. I, I mean, we are now 78 years after the surrender of Nazi Germany in 1945. And yet again, we see people not merely looking the other way to a, a, a disgusting, a disgusting pogrom, obviously the, the most dead Jews in one day since the defeat of Hitler and the Nazis. They are not merely looking the other way. They are looking for any excuse whatsoever not to take the obviously correct, the obviously moral and righteous stand here, which is to stand with Israel and condemn these barbaric atrocities. And again, I just fear that it is coming from a very, very dark place a place, frankly, that is just ultimately rooted in unambiguous Jew hatred. Yes, I completely agree with every word you just said. It's just so obvious. This is not like, well, it's nuanced. Well, you know, you really have to. No, it's very clear. A massive act of terrorism took place against the Israelis 
two Saturdays ago, and there's only one place to land on it. There's only one place to land on it, especially if you're an American. I mean, I, it's like to see these college students, it's just, all right, we'll get to them in one second. I just want to add one more soundbite to it because in addition to the awfulness that I just played you, there has been, I mean, we could be here all day playing the soundbites from the reporters and the IDF, poor, those poor guys who had to go in there and actually find the bodies. But just for the record, because not everybody is updating the audience on this, here's another soundbite talking about the atrocities that were witnessed 10 days ago. Her baby's dead. I said, how do you know she's dead? Are you sure? She said, they shot her on, on the head. She was shot. And I didn't know how to comfort her. I couldn't even put my arms around her. They shot a baby, three months old, I think, in front of their mother. In the living room, to see two uh, parents Father and mother, hand tied in the back, and in the other side against them, uh, uh, the children, two small children, hand tied in the back, and in each of them were torched to see, and the middle is a table where this terrorist were sitting and eating while they were torching the kids. And you use the imagination, who saw what? And you see missing parts on dead bodies. That's only for torch and by the end, a, a, a gunshot wound. Yes, I saw babies, I saw children. I saw a mother um, holding her baby, holding her baby. And only one get one 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 bullet went through both of them together. I saw twenty children together with a hand tied in the back, and they were burned. They shot and burned in piles. Twenty children shot and burned in a pile, you see, and, and two piles. I would say about two hundred and eighty bodies, two hundred and eighty casualties. I would say 80% was torture. Saw a stroller with that was stained with blood, a crib overturned on its side, taken outside of the door. This was in front of the house now. The crib overturned, splattered with blood, a child's toy still inside. I heard one story yesterday from, from one of the, the people who goes in and clears the bodies. And he said he found a, a pregnant woman who was shot in the head her stomach sliced open the baby still attached the umbilical cord and the the baby was stabbed i'm sorry i'm sorry to have to play that but this is the situation we're in because you've got people like the squad calling for an immediate ceasefire saying enough revenge has been exacted on gaza on hamas and it needs to end now as though those animals aren't going to want more blood just as soon as a ceasefire could be declared. Megan, we should be very clear what calls for a premature ceasefire, calls for a premature winding down or end of hostilities. We should be very clear about what those calling for that actually desire, what, what they are really trying to say without having the courage ultimately to say it. 
they want Hamas to be emboldened. They want Hezbollah to be emboldened. They want the Iranian regime to be emboldened. They want all of the radical Islamic enemies of Israel, of the United States, and of good, righteous, sane people the world over. They want those people ultimately to bend the knee before the forces of global jihadism, because that is literally what is happening right now. I mean, Israel versus Hamas is just a proxy for a much broader and longer conflict. And no, I'm not talking about kind of a return to a Bush era kind of neoconservative gun-toting war on terrorism. But the reality is, the reality is that jihadists all across the world, we saw what happened in Brussels recently, we saw what happened in Paris recently, we saw what happened on the streets of America when Hamas called for a global day of jihad rage or whatever was the exact description they called it last Friday here. The forces of evil and jihadism the world all over are emboldened right now. So it is not merely Israelis who happen to live near Gaza, such as my brother-in-law, by the way. He lives in a town called Netivot, about five, six miles from the Gaza border. We were all obviously terrified when this attack went down. Thank God he is safe. It is not merely folks like that who will be directly endangered by calls for a premature ceasefire. It is all of us because these people who are out there, who are marching the Palestinian flag, which has supplanted the swastika as the symbol of Jewish annihilationism, of seeking ultimately to root out and extirpate, frankly, all what radical Islamic jihadists refer to as, quote unquote, infidels, Jews and Christian alike. All of those forces on the American University campus in the media, in the Fortune 500, in our schools, in our homes, in our communities, they will all be emboldened by a premature ceasefire and, frankly, anything less than the complete and utter eradication and extirpation of the Hamas regime. Now, obviously, it's going to get ugly. I mean, if Israel does finally launch this ground invasion, we, we think that Hezbollah is probably going to get in from Lebanon there. There's, a, there's the realistic possibility of a two-front war, God forbid, a three-front war potentially from Syria if Bashar al-Assad gets involved. And then obviously the massive elephant in the room is about the domestic Israeli Arab community. Uh, you know, about 20 percent of actual uh, of the Israeli population is Arab. So it, it, it's going to get ugly. But the point making is that this has to get done. This has to get done because anything less than that is not merely going to endanger Israelis. All of us, all of us will suffer the mid to long term consequences of a failure to do the job and get it done here. And yet in the eyes of, as I point out, the squad, Ilan Omar, Corey Bush, now Ayanna Presley, AOC. It needs to end right now. It needs to end immediately because the number of Palestinians who have been killed exceeds the number of Israelis who were killed because Palestinian children have been killed in Israel's response, even though Israel does its level best to avoid any civilian casualties. But Hamas uses them as human shields. Um, and so I'll just give you a flavor. I mean, there's a reason I played those sound bites, just so people understand what was done to Israel. That's just a fraction, a tiny fraction of what was done to Israel. Um, now you've got AOC out there. She wants an immediate ceasefire. I think we've got it uh, Monday night on CNN, SOT 2. What is Israel supposed to do about Hamas after they murdered, brutalized, uh, abducted over a thousand of their citizens? Well, you know, I think what's important to note about a ceasefire is that it's not one-sided. I and mean, I think the position from Israel's perspective is that there was already an attack. I think what is important in terms of response is Israel does have a right to, to self-defense. I think what we need to take a look at in this situation is if collective punishment qualifies as defense. How else are they supposed to address a violent militant, mm -hmm. some say terrorist group, mm -hmm. other than to go in there right. and, and take them on directly? This is an inherently complex situation. It's complex, Josh. It's tough. You got to really, you got to really think about it to understand 
you know, dead babies better. Yeah, only a radical leftist like AOC could possibly try to make this out to be more complex than it needs to be. You have Israel, which is a force for unambiguous good in the world, which has given this world so much since it was founded in 1948 when it comes to Nobel Prizes in science, medicine, robotics, the high tech sector, you name it. They have given so much to the world. And then you have a radical Islamist death cult whose founding charter in 1988 is explicitly dedicated to the annihilation of that wonderful state of Israel. And oh, by the way, also the Hamas charter call, calls for the death of every Jew all across the world. So note to AOC and the rest of the jihad squad, this is really not that complicated. Do not make it out to be more complex than it needs to be. But again, what these people are actually feeling deep down, what they really want to say, but I do not think that they actually have the courage to say it, except for perhaps Rashida Tlaib on a particularly bad day, is that they are openly rooting for the jihadists. They openly want to see dead Jews. We see increasingly all across college campuses, these student jihadists who are affiliated with the so-called Students for Justice in Palestine chapters, they're not even hiding anymore. I mean, we see these university professors, this history professor at, at Cornell, this came to light over the past 24, 36 hours. He said that he We've found it. it. What, yeah, we got just, it. Let's show it. Let's show it. Let, let's show it because I, I do want you to react to this. Uh, I mean, it's all it's all awful. We've had an update from, you know, from NYU, from Cornell, from Columbia, from Harvard virtually every day. Um, but this professor at Cornell really takes the cake. So this guy, Professor Russell Rickford. Now, I want people to remember as we get into this controversy, he made these remarks two days ago on Sunday, eight days after the war started, eight days after the atrocities and the terror attack on Israel started. Um, so he decided to get out there at a rally two days ago and say the following about watching that attack. Listen. It was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was energizing. If they weren't exhilarating, no weapons. By this, this challenge to the monopoly of violence, by this shifting of the balance of power, then they would not be you. My God. So now, now that Cornell has received probably thousands of complaints, including from Jewish students who have to go sit in his history class, I know one of them. Um, now he comes out and tries to excuse it this way, Josh. What I was referring to, again, two days ago, quote, is in those first few hours when they brought when they broke through the apartheid wall, it seemed to be a symbol of resistance. It signaled that the Palestinians will to resist had not been broken. Quote, in subsequent days, we learned of some of the horrifying realities. OK, now, first of all, that's all a lie because he's saying it eight days in. Everybody knew 48 hours ago about all the horrific claims I just showed you the sound bites of. Plus, we all knew. So he cannot blame what he said two days ago on just, I guess, after that, after Sunday, that's when he learned about the atrocities. And then he goes on to say, OK, in subsequent days, we learned of some of the horrifying realities. But I want to make it clear that Hamas is a fundamentalist organization. It's important to note that in some ways, the fundamentalism of Hamas mirrors that of the Israeli leadership. That's him putting it all in context, you see. That's America's teaching collection today. Cornell. 
you know, Megan, I was actually up at Cornell. I was at Cornell University like two or three weeks ago to give a Federal Society Law School lecture. If I had known that this man was there, I might have paid him a, a certain kind of office visit. I mean, that really is my kind of visceral reaction when I hear stuff like this. I mean, from this guy, there's a professor at Columbia University, Joseph Massad, I think is his name. He had a very similar yes. quote, all, 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 all sorts of other professors. I, I, I just cannot describe to you, Megan, I, I, as, a, as a proud Jew, as a fairly religiously traditional and, and fairly observant Jew, I, 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 it really just makes me want to start throwing punches. I mean, I mean, hearing this kind of stuff here, we are 78 years again after the defeat of Nazi Germany and our esteemed, quote unquote, public intellectuals at Ivy League universities are saying that it is exhilarating to see the most genocided people in human history genocided once again. I mean, I, mean, I just don't have words for this stuff. I, I mean, this is not a polite debate here. We are not debating what the capital gains tax rate should be. We are not debating whether the gestational limit for abortion should be 12, 15, 18 weeks or something like that. We are literally talking about whether a, a country, Israel, and ultimately Jews worldwide, because that's obviously what they're getting at here. We all saw that clip down in Sydney, Australia, a week and a half ago, where all the Muslims are gathered at the iconic Sydney Opera House chanting, gas the Jews. I mean, that's really what's going on here. That is what we're debating. We are debating whether People like me, my family, my fiance, my friends ultimately have a right to live. And it, it really just takes me back, frankly, to kind of the antebellum debates over slavery. I, I mean, I, again, it, it is a binary choice here. You have good or you have evil. I, I, I Look, I, I am not a neoconservative. I'm a foreign policy realist. I think that some foreign policy conflicts are a little more complicated than the neoconservatives make it out to be. Some genuinely do have a gray area between the two extremes. This is not one of them. This is an extremely binary black or white case here. There is truly no middle ground. As I said in my column last week, you are either with the savages who committed atrocities that legitimately would have made the SS, the Gestapo, the folks at Auschwitz and Birkenau and Treblinka that would have made them proud, you know, that would have led to, to Hitler and Himmler and all of them saluting you from hell. Or you stand against these atrocious, barbar barbaric atrocities and scumbags. I mean, that, that is the basic choice there. And it, it just saddens me and devastates me to no end that higher education has been so corrupted and so co-opted by purported public intellectuals who are openly cheering on the side that Hitler would be rooting for from the grave. That's the thing. So it's like, even if you've been following the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and you understand you know, how they got there. And and have sympathies, even if you were to have sympathies with the Palestinians and the position that they're in, even if you were in that position, what kind of a human could look at what happened two Saturdays ago and say anything other than, my God, I don't want anything to do with them. I condemn Hamas in the strongest terms possible. This is evil incarnate, like period, period, you know, and then that you can go back to arguing the Palestinian Israeli conflict and the politics of it. But there is no answer to what we saw other than it's evil and it has to be stopped. Hamas must be stopped. And there's a reason these people can't bring themselves to say it. I want to pick it up with that, that Columbia professor, Professor Joseph Massad. Now, that's the one I made reference to yesterday that Barry Weiss had when she was at Columbia. And as, as a young Jewish woman was like, what the hell is he saying? And got some pushback on it. I'll tell you exactly what he's saying. We'll talk about the latest out of NYU um, with the video found of what the students were doing there uh, when we bring Josh back in two minutes. Don't go away, Josh. Thank you. Uh, and remember, folks, you can find The Megyn Kelly Show live on a SiriusXM Triumph Channel 111 every weekday at noon east 
the full video show and clips by subscribing to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. If you prefer an audio podcast, you can follow and download wherever you get your podcasts for free. We appreciate your support of the show. And when you go to Apple, et cetera, please do click subscribe and follow and download is really what, uh, what works. And that's the way they'll remind you that the show has dropped and we'll keep the communication going. So you never have to miss a program. Okay, so I wanted to mention the Columbia University professor who you mentioned as well, Professor Joseph Massad, history and politics professor since 1999. Unfortunately, he's tenured. He's a native of Jordan and he's of Palestinian descent. He was the guy Barry Weiss sat in his class and said, this guy seems kind of anti-Semitic to me, seems awfully focused on how evil Israel is without a lot of balance. <laughs> and she received some criticism for being too, too much of an activist. Well, here he is again in the wake of this conflict, similar to this guy, Russell Rickford at Cornell, openly calling the Hamas attacks awesome, innovative and a major achievement in an op-ed for electronic intifada. The petition to get him fired now has some 45,000 signatures and climbing, but also now there's a letter of solidarity with more than 300 Columbia affiliates, affiliates and members of the public. The letter was written by students, faculty, and alumni demanding that he be provided with security, that he be protected, and that he not be fired because they think it's just fine. He thought the terrorist attack was, quote, awesome. So what do you make of Professor Massad at Columbia? Well, the first thing is that I find it pretty hilarious, if nothing else, that a tenured professor at an Ivy League institution is giving interviews to Electronic Intifada, which has written at least two, I mean, literally at least two or three hit pieces against me. I've kind of lost count over the years due to my pro-Israel activism. I mean, this is a just absolutely disgusting website. I, I mean, I, I would encourage the viewers to spend maybe 10 seconds just scrolling through the homepage. You will get a feel for the kind of propaganda that they put out there very, very quickly. Look, Barry Weiss was obviously correct when she had those instincts about this guy years ago. I saw a different quote from him where he casually referred to Israel as the quote unquote Jewish supremacist regime. I mean, has this guy ever been to Israel? I mean, has he actually ever been on the ground and seen the situation there? There are Arabs in Israeli society represented at literally all of the pillars of Israeli society. There are Arabs in the Knesset. That's their uh, parliament, their legislature. There are Arabs on the Israeli Supreme Court. In fact, Israel's commitment to free speech, especially when it comes to Arabs who oppose Zionism, who oppose Israel's existence. Israel's dedication to free speech is so extreme, probably even more extreme than I actually would personally prefer it to be, that they actually have no problem whatsoever with Arab members of the Knesset get up there in their parliament and give speeches on the parliamentary floor calling for the eradication of Zionism, calling Israel a cancer and apartheid regime. Again, that's probably more absolutist free speech than even I am comfortable with. But the point here for relevant purposes is that Arabs within Israel have all have all true civil and legal equality. And yet he refers to Israel casually as a Jewish supremacist regime. Again, whether it's him, whether it's Professor Rickford at Cornell, there are any number of examples, unfortunately, as well. Ultimately, Megan, the problem, I think, is the ivory tower in general. But in particular, in particular, you have a lot of Middle Eastern studies and Near East studies departments in universities all across the country. And anyone who has ever spent any time whether you had a class in one of these departments or whether you're just kind of perusing the textbooks and the material that they assign, they are just dripping, dripping with Jew hatred, with anti-Semitism, with, with a profoundly kind of 
Arabist kind of pro-radical Islam view of the world there. And when it comes to kind of wielding the levers of public policy to try to effectuate some sort of change and have some sort of remedy here, I think when it comes to defunding the universities, we should really be, I think, initially focused on these uniquely problematic departments here. Because Ultimately, the problem at the universities is, is a more profound one. I mean, universities are ostensibly dedicated to the, to the pursuit of truth and trying to kind of raise quality young men and women who have sound Republican habits of mind, who are good citizens, who are proud patriots, blah, blah, blah. They obviously have been straying for, from that mission for 70, 80, 90 years or so now. But a good place to start seeing the disgusting filth that is coming out of these various professors and these elite institutions, I think would, would be to start by defunding these Middle East. Eastern studies and Near East studies departments, because they are usually just a smokescreen for the worst kind of Jew hatred imaginable. Yes. And, you know, thankfully, defunding of the universities is starting to happen to some extent. Um, just got my get together the short this short list at Harvard. One of Israel's uh, millionaire couples resigned from its executive board. Uh, Idan Offer and his wife Batia withdrew uh, their multi-million dollar donation that they had planned to give Harvard. The Wexner Foundation, uh, they had given $56 million to Harvard. They withdrew their money, said you're not getting another dime. Citadel founder uh, and Harvard graduate Ken Griffin vowed his hedge fund will never hire those who signed these letters. He's donated more than $500 million to Harvard, joined with Bill Ackman, another hedge fund guy, on blacklisting these students who are supporting openly this terrorist group, Hamas. At UPenn, Apollo CEO Mark Rowan, that's just a you know a behemoth in the hedge fund world, uh, called on doctors, donors to pull their funding. He had donated $50 million to Wharton, UPenn's, of course, business school. In 2018, John Huntsman, former U.S. ambassador and presidential candidate, said he will stop all of his donations and those of his very wealthy family. His dad had donated $50 million to UPenn. They're pulling it. So bit by bit by bit, these very smart Jewish donors and their allies are saying, we started this in New York. It wasn't our catchphrase, but we were part of the group. Um, our, the phrase was, not another cupcake. Not a cupcake at a bake sale. Not another cupcake. Until you change the way you approach these issues. And in our case, it was the crazy, the crazy race essentialism and the crazy you know, gender ideology being foist on us. Um, but now it's exploded to show you know, how bigoted these people who were pushing those other agendas on us happen to be. Yeah, I mean, these universities do not need your money. I, I mean, look at Harvard's endowments. Harvard has an endowment of north of $40 billion. I can't remember the exact statistic, but it's a heck of a lot of money. They do not need your money. I mean, I have no idea why Ken Griffin in particular has given that much money over the years there, but good for these people. I mean, look, there are some people out there, you know, I saw Vivek Ramaswamy calling it, quote unquote, cancel culture for, you know, folks like Bill Ackman and Ken Griffin to announce that they will never hire anyone for their hedge funds. For people who signed on to these openly pro-Hamas, drippingly anti-Semitic let letters, you know, I, I saw a judge um, on the U.S. Court of Federal Claims, the first federal judge who I've seen make a very similar pronouncement. He happens to be Jewish. That judge himself there. Um, this, Megan, this is not cancel culture. You know, this is market force at work. You know, you want to put an idea out there, you better expect for there to be some sort of reaction there. It, I, I, I mean, I, I just find it ludicrous to suggest that free speech ought to be such a sacrosanct ideal that it necessarily prevents anyone from making a moral judgment as to the actual content of that speech. So for example, I mean, if I were to just say that all 1.8, 1.9 billion Muslims across the world should be killed tomorrow, 
I would I would be held responsible for that speech. I would probably be fired from my employer, and rightfully so, because no one should ever call for that sort of thing there. This is just the market at work, and it's actually very encouraging, frankly, to see the marketplace at work. Another similar example of that, Megan, I saw that MSNBC's ratings have totally cratered over the course of the past yeah, week and have. a half. The New York Post reported that it was down 33%, if I recall, and they actually benched some of their pro-Hamas anchors, folks like Mehdi Hassan. That's good. That's the way it's supposed to work. Again, that is supply demand that is people using their power as consumers to try to shift supply and demand and market forces so i find this all very encouraging and i think shame on those like well, v- v- go ahead sorry yeah no no i agree with you uh, but the, the other thing is it, it would be one thing if these students of stu- students for justice for palestine existed prior to this terror attack and you know presumably they were very in favor of palestine <laughs> and they weren't getting canceled they weren't getting nobody was blacklisting them that's one thing you you know like i was saying earlier you're your sympathies are more pro-Palestine, even pro-Hamas. Okay, um, do your homework, but okay. You, there wasn't a blacklist. This, their support, their open support for Hamas and condemnation of Israel came after Israel had fourteen hundred of its civilians murdered. Not they didn't target military; they targeted the civilians in the most horrific, tortuous ways one can do. And in response to that, these groups sided with Hamas. That's in a different league. That's supporting terror. It's a hard no. You don't get to work for me. And I got news for Vivek. You don't get to work for the president of the United States either. And this is going to be become a big deal if his campaign ever takes off. Are you actually going to hire one of these people? Are you actually going to take those people who are out there saying there were no dead babies? Oh, good. Good luck on your rehab program. That's not happening in our White House. Um, so it's fine for some private employer who doesn't have any Jewish employees if this is the way they want to go. But who that has any Jewish clients or Jewish staff or anyone who's just a sane human who doesn't like to work next to murder sympathizers would hire one of these lunatics, Josh. Right. right. So it's worth underscoring a point that you just made there, Megan, which is we're not talking here about the Palestinian Authority. We're not talking about Mahmoud Abbas in Ramallah. I mean, they have a ton of problems. We can get into that if you want to. We're talking here, though, about Hamas. Hamas is a literally registered terrorist organization by the United States, by the European Union, but obviously by Israel. I mean, essentially by every major Western power recognizes Hamas as being indistinguishable from Al Qaeda, ISIS, the Taliban, you name it. Any stripe of fundamentalist, genocidal, Sunni, Islamic jihad, they are all inseparable. I mean, I mean, we saw the Pentagon Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin just last week was over in Israel saying that he had lots of on the ground experience with ISIS's atrocities in Syria and Iraq. And what he saw on the ground, we heard it there in the clips earlier on your program, what he saw on the ground was worse than anything that he ever saw from ISIS with all of their beheadings and various other medieval barbaric atrocities there. So the people there are not kind of saying some sort of two-state solution. They're not pro-Oslo Accords. I happen to disagree with that too, but that is within the confines of a legitimate political debate for sure. What is not within the confines of a legitimate debate is to openly pronounce your sympathy and or outright support for a US, EU, UN, and so forth recognized terrorist organization. A terrorist organization which, oh, by the way, the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, who was just in Tel Aviv a day or two ago for meetings, he had to run to a 
bomb shelter to seek cover while Hamas rockets were being flung at Tel Aviv from Gaza. And yet these students are, are, are somehow celebrating the attempted assassination in that case of their own purported secretary of state. No, you cannot save these things. You cannot call for Jewish genocide without facing some sort of repercussions. And frankly, the people here who are engaging in cancel culture, Megan, if we want to actually use that rhetoric, the people who are engaging in cancel culture are the Jewish genocide and annihilationist apologists who are trying to cancel the entirety of the Jewish state of Israel and ultimately the Jewish people from the face of the earth. It's so true. And, and even if you have zero sympathies for Israel and its citizens, its civilians, 27 Americans were killed and these right. assholes are out in the street cheering it. So it's a no. It's a no on your application. Good luck. Uh, I'm sure there are wonderful organizations that would hire a person like you. I mean, I, I wait to see what they are. Uh, but in the meantime, Harvard's reaction to that whole scandal thus far has been now, okay, they've put out four different statements, but the, here's the latest iteration. Harvard's Arab Alumni Association is appealing for donations and support to help the poor students who signed the letter supporting Hamas, they, saying they have been subjected to, quote, relentless bullying and intimidation. Let's never forget, Josh, in this terrorist attack, the Harvard signatories are the real victims. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, what is there to say? I mean, up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left here, black is white, white is black. I mean, the level of moral inversion and moral perverseness in American society has reached us hitherto unforeseen heights, I think. I mean, it seemingly just gets yeah. worse and worse every year. I mean, the, the so-called pro-Palestinian cause at this point from my admittedly somewhat biased vantage point, I think has probably supplanted all of the critical race theory nonsense, all of the gender ideology nonsense. I mean, this is about as evil as it gets. Well, the gender ideology stuff is, is pretty evil, of course, when it gets to sterilizing kids. But 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 this stuff is, a, is, is at a bare minimum in this same discussion as, as to the most hideous and evil filth out there. And again, you have people not merely at this point just trying to both sides this thing, oh, both sides are at fault. Yeah, no. you obviously have a lot of that. That's what the jihad squad, the AOCs are trying to do. But you have these people just openly siding with Hamas and, and then – they're somehow the real victim. No, the victims of this are the babies who were slaughtered, the Holocaust survivors who were shot point blank in the back of the head execution style, the women who were raped and pillaged and ultimately murdered next to their friends who were previously murdered, the victims of the families in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem whose young ones are currently being held hostage by Islamic fundamentalist jihadist thugs in the terror tunnels underneath the streets of Gaza. The victims are the Americans, the Europeans, all of whom had their own civilians die in this unspeakable atrocity there. And, you know, I, maybe it's too much to ask for that higher education show just a modicum, a modicum of moral decency at this point. But surely at a bare minimum, to get back to our earlier conversation, the United States taxpayer does not need to be subsidizing any of this activity for a penny. And I really hope to see folks in Congress start to pick up that mantle a bit more. So, so many places to go with this discussion. Um, I want to, I, I want to get to NYU and the hostages but before I do, you referenced it before. We haven't yet talked about it today. And that is the terrorist attack in Belgium, in Belgium, where two people were murdered by what appears to be an ISIS sympathizer, a Hamas sympathizer. And what we now learn today is that he said it was in retribution for a lunatic in Illinois, a 70 year old landlord who murdered a six year old boy who was I believe he was Palestinian American. And he decided to take out his frustrations over what had happened in this terror attack against Israel 
on this Palestinian boy. Absolutely disgusting. And that 70-year-old has been arrested and will face murder charges. And everyone's horrified by that. I think it was, what, six rabbis uh, went to his funeral or spoke out. The Jewish community here is outraged at that as well. That's the difference. There are no Hamas people who are outraged at all about what Hamas did to the Israelis. So this terrorist in Belgium decides to murder. We've got this soundbite. We've got a, a clip, forgive me, of one of the shootings. Um, we'll show it in part. And you can see the person go down. I mean, it's, oh, he goes back and shoots him again. He goes back and shoots him again. Uh, well, now he's been identified. That's somebody who sympathizes with the Palestinians. So that's what happened in Belgium and, and, and what happened in Illinois prior to it. Um, but I want to get back to the hostages. So first of all, let's start domestically. At NYU, in an absolutely filthy, disgusting act, these two women were caught on tape. Uh, three individuals actually were seen tearing down the posters of the hostages and of the missing children. Uh, look at this. Look at these three women. They're tearing them down of the kidnapped Israeli children and adults. What kind of filth would do this? Nobody stopped them. So I'm glad somebody videoed them. I mean, they're probably worried that these went. Well, who knows if you pull down pictures like this, who knows what they'll do to you if you try to stop them. But there are let's show their faces. Uh, Megan McCain tweeted out a close up of their face. Let's show their faces. Let's see if we can find them. I'd love to find them. Put them on the do not hire list. Proudly on the do not hire list. Look at these people. They're disgusting. So that's what happened at NYU. Lovely. One of America's most respected campuses. No problem whatsoever. They want the children to suffer and suffer. Indeed, they are, Josh. And that leads me to what's happening right now in Gaza as 199 hostages remain in custody. There was... um, this background, okay, because they have so many of the children, the babies, the young women, the young children uh, off of a lot of these kibbutzes. And a lot of people wondered, like, half were killed, half were taken. How? Like, how did they get in and get out of these kibbutzes so easily and so quickly and get so many hostages and manage to go right to the babies and kill them? Well, we got a little flavor on that from the Daily Mail, which did some reporting on this, sending a reporter out to one of them, one of the kibbutzes, to figure out exactly how did some of this go down? And here's a clip of what he reported. And he said that effectively it was an inside job. Farm workers from Gaza had been coming here for the past two years under a new scheme designed to improve the Gaza economy. They were given permits. They could come and work here uh, for a day uh, and then go back home into Gaza. And it was them that are those people, those farm workers who are suspected of gathering the intelligence of where people lived, the layout of the streets, and how far away the police and the soldiers might be. My God, you talk about the moral clarity between the two sides and who's on the side of the angels and who's on the side of the devil. And it's very clear. You know, it obviously is very clear, but it also underscores one of Israel's major strategic failures over the past five, 10 years, which is the reason that Israel boosted those work permits for Gazans to then go work into Israel. 
was that Israel was under the misunderstanding that Hamas could be economically placated, that Hamas might have some interest whatsoever in actually attending to the day-to-day -day governing responsibilities of the you know one and a half to two million Arabs who are living inside the Gaza Strip, and that was just, that was a catastrophic failure of judgment on Israel's part. You know, getting rid of those work permits from Gaza, I think, will be one of many public policy changes that is drastically needed and presumably will happen in Israel in the coming weeks if it frankly has not already happened there. But, you know, another thing to say about Hamas that I, I don't think I've said yet, but I think it's important for the viewers to understand this nonetheless there. Hamas is is overwhelmingly popular in Gaza. You know, I hear I see the president of the United States, Joe Biden, I see others saying that not every Palestinian supports Hamas. And obviously that's true. But many, many, many do. Hamas was popularly elected by the people of Gaza in the West Bank, you know, which Jews call Judea and Samaria. The reason that Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, has not held an election despite being in the 18th year of his four-year term, the reason that he has not held an election in 18 years is because polling consistently shows that if he does, Hamas would wipe the floor with his own moderate party, Fatah, in Palestinian elections there. Hamas has overwhelming popular support in Gaza. In fact, one of the reasons that the IDF has always eschewed kind of a full-scale ground invasion to eradicate Hamas is the fear that if the IDF actually did so, if they actually were to topple Hamas, something worse could actually come in place. I'm not making that up. That is literally one wow. of the calculations in the IDF security brass there. So these people are just totally and completely brainwashed there, which then takes us back to what we just saw in that clip, which is just the idiocy of the folks in the Knesset who thought that this would be a good policy to bring in all of these work permits of, of these people that effectively just acted as spies. The whole story is just incredibly and remarkably tragic. There will be movies and books written on this terrible, terrible day, October 7th, 2023, for a very, very long time, unfortunately. I have to make a comment about Mia Shem. I just, it was so heartbreaking. They put out video of this hostage. I'm not gonna show Hamas propaganda, but she was, that she has some sort of an arm injury and she was she was saying that she had had a surgery in some hospital and i mean her eyes her face she looks terrified in this video that hamas released they released it to try to show oh look how well we're treating the hostages this was mia at the festival from which she was kidnapped two saturdays ago with look at this she's positively gorgeous. She has her whole life in front of her. She's having a great time with friends. She's got a thousand watt smile. And now she's being held by these barbarians. And they want us to celebrate that they allegedly gave her some surgery for the arm they hurt, that they allegedly tried to save the life that they endangered. And this is their propaganda, which gets aired over and over. NBC News the other day aired a piece of propaganda directly from a woman who is young and beautiful and with Hamas um, and had been released by Hamas to try to show, you know, how how tough it is to be in Gaza right now. It's just the propaganda machine that is at work. But the truth is behind all of these pictures that they're trying to get us to bite on, they're trying to get us to feel sympathy for is a very savvy group that's hurting a very vulnerable population. That's completely correct. Look, if you, here's the key point when it comes to this, Megan. If you ever want to see, not you literally, but proverbially you, if the people out there ever want to see a lasting solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, 
Hamas has to go. There is no future of that conflict whatsoever for the Israeli people, for the Arabs of Gaza, for the Arabs of Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, for anyone involved. There is no future whatsoever where Hamas can possibly have a role there. I mean, frankly, personally, I, I think that October 7, 2023 was the day that the last remnants of the so-called two-state solution probably ever exists. I think that probably is going to be a non-starter ever. How could Israel ever, ever, ever concede another inch of territory after we saw what this happened there? But Hamas in particular, again, they are indistinguishable from ISIS. Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense there last week, said that what he saw from Hamas was worse than anything he had ever seen from ISIS there. I, I frankly have no idea, Megan. This is kind of something that I've, I've been genuinely kind of perplexed by. I don't have a good answer to this question. The, the Arabs that will remain in Gaza after the IDF does what it has to do there, I have no idea how you can de-radicalize these people. Because again, Hamas has overwhelming popularity there. We saw the videos of that German girl kind of disfigured in the back of the pickup truck. The people are on the streets cheering there. I mean, again, the moral division here, the moral clarity could not be starker between that and what you just discussed about this horrific murder of the six-year-old boy. The Jewish community universally condemns such barbarism. The, the moral dichotomy could not possibly be clearer there. But, you know, look, Israel has some very difficult decisions in, in the days ahead. They've obviously delayed this ground invasion of Gaza. Who knows at this point if it's even going to happen? I have no idea, frankly, what Joe Biden and Antony Blinken are back channeling to Netanyahu and the Israelis about possibly trying to kind of call them off of a ground invasion there. But when it gets ugly, and it is definitely going to get uglier from here, there's going to be a lot of graphics of, of dead Palestinian Arab children, things like that here. It's important for the viewers to remember that the blame for this goes exclusively to Hamas. Hamas, of course, which bombed, which bombed their own roadways in southern Gaza to prevent their own people from leaving, thus locking them in so that they can have more people as human shields to cynically then, then hike to jump up the Palestinian death toll so that the eyes of the world will then hone in on Israel. It's, it's the most disgustingly cynical strategy you could possibly imagine. But again, this Band-Aid has to be ripped off. There is no more kind of half-assing this. They have to go in and do what needs to be done. And Megan, I am just praying at this point, not that the U.S. sends boots on the ground. The Israelis don't need that. I am just praying that Joe Biden just stays the hell away, does not call for a premature ceasefire, just does not call for any kind of draconian pressure, and just lets the IDF do what the IDF knows damn well how to do. Mm. Quick last question on the, the refugees. You know, I don't know who's fleeing. I really don't. Hamas is not dumb. You know, they, they may be in with the civilians fleeing, the ones who don't see death as the glory of, you know, the whole purpose of living. Um, and so I'd be very wary, as Egypt is, about letting them into Egypt. I'd be even more worried about them coming to America. And yet there is a question about where they're supposed to flee to, as Israel gives them the warning, like, we're about to come, so get out. Where, where should they go? And what do you think about AOC saying they should come here? Well, God willing, they will not come here. Um, God willing, we will not take in a single one of them. We have enough of a problem here in the U.S. when it comes to that on our own right now. There was this harrowing graphic. I saw you tweeted it out. I tweeted out as well of this march in Dearborn, Michigan, just hundreds and hundreds of people chanting the genocidal slogan from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. I mean, if the past week and a half has clarified anything, Megan, and has clarified that the U.S. does not need any more refugees, asylees, or frankly, just immigrants in general from that broader part of the world. Look, going back just real quick to kind of the 
aftermath of World War One, which is when the victorious European powers, the British and the French, carved up the Middle East, Jordan was supposed to be the so-called Palestinian state. And in theory today, the majority of the population in Jordan is actually still ethnically Palestinian. In fact, the king of Jordan, he, he's, a, he's a Hashemite, he's actually an ethnic minority in his own country. So in theory, Jordan and Egypt are really the two places where these folks ought to go. Of course, they don't want them because they see these people for what they are, which are people who openly support the Muslim Brotherhood, of which Hamas is merely an offshoot. They support radical jihadism. Of course, Jordan doesn't want them. I mean, Jordan back in 1970 had the Black September Palestinian terrorist uprising back when Yasser Arafat was still in charge there. But unfortunately, there's no better solution. So, you know, immediately, Megan, that Sunday night after the atrocities happened, I did like a long tweet giving my full thoughts on this. And then that tweet, one of the things I said was that now is the time for the U.S. to apply extraordinary carrots and sticks diplomacy to pressure President el-Sisi in Egypt to take these people, threaten to withhold any and all foreign aid, threaten to vote against Egypt at the U.N. Every single diplomatic lever available should have been applied a week ago. So at this point, perhaps it's too late. But that really, I think, is the, the unfortunately, it's not a great solution, but it's probably the least bad outcome at, at this point. Well, sorry, forgive me one more You've also been raising the alarm about Qatar. You know, that's where all Hamas's yeah. leaders are sitting in these beautiful hotels. They're they're managing to escape a lot of the scrutiny. But what what should we do about them? We've been pretending they're a, they're a wonderful friend and pal to us in the Middle East. Yeah, very problematic country. Qatar has a sprawling, sprawling influence operation in Washington, D.C. They fund major think tanks like the Brookings Institution in Doha, Qatar. There are many American universities with campuses, Northwestern University, Georgetown, Texas A&M. I mean, they're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. They sit on top of the world's largest natural gas reserve. So they have tons and tons of money, but they are not our friend. They invest a lot of money in trying to gaslight us into thinking that they are our friends. But their Al Jazeera state TV based in Doha disseminates Islamism, radical Islam all throughout the region. Osama bin Laden used to give kind of his his lectures on Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera was basically Osama bin Laden's personal platform before he was thankfully taken out in Pakistan 12 years ago now. Um, and yes, Hamas leadership literally lives in five-star luxury hotels in Doha. So I cannot believe that the U.S. at this point has not at a bare minimum demanded that Hamas leadership from Qatar be extradited. Again, this is not just Israeli civilians or Israeli citizens, I should say, who are being held hostage in those terror tunnels in Gaza. There are American citizens there. I mean, if you are calling yourself, you know, pounding your chest and saying, I'm America first. What is what is possibly not America first about demanding that the people responsible for your own people being taken hostage be extradited to face justice in a court of law here? So Qatar clearly plays it both ways. Just last year, the U.S. Congress designated them as a, quote unquote, major non-NATO ally. It, it, it is time for Qatar to be severed, I think, from the community of Western nations. Back in 2017, in the summer of 2017, the UAE, the, the Saudis and, and other kind of more moderate kind of Arab countries countries actually did a full-scale embargo, a blockade of Qatar. Trump, when he was president, actually his initial instinct was to kind of go ahead with that blockade. He was correct. That was the correct move. Unfortunately, his then Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, talked him down from that. But Qatar has had it both sides. They play both sides. They've had this for way too long there. It, we have to call them out for what it is. I mean, they are funding Hamas every month. They are housing leadership there. So 
If Mossad does not find a way to take out Hamas leadership, which is one possible solution, probably my preferred solution, but if they don't find a way to actually get into Doha and take out these bastards, then hopefully at a bare minimum, the U.S. can put extraordinary pressure to extradite them and face justice. Wow. I mean, we'll see about that ground invasion back in Israel because the president is said, you know, set to head there. They were saying potentially they're holding off on the ground invasion into Gaza until after the U.S. president goes to Israel on Wednesday, tomorrow. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't understand how they get the hostages back. They're working for diplomatic solutions. They're working to try to convince these terrorists that holding children and, and old women and uh, teenagers against their will is bad. And we'd really like them to rethink it. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how they do. If not, it's going to be boots on the ground. I, I don't know how else you get them back. Josh Hammer, thank you for all all your posts, your expertise, your thoughtful. I mean, I've been learning a lot from you and I really, really appreciate your fo following you on Twitter and uh, just your clear voice on this. All the best to you. You too, Megan. Thank you so much to you as well. Mm. Well, you heard Josh mention it. You know, the gender insanity is also extremely important. What they're doing to our children, what they're trying to do to our children. And there's no one better on it than Britt Mayer. She's here next. We'll get into it. Now we turn to some cultural news with a mother and activist who is immersed in fighting back against the woke ideology and the transgender radical agenda for children everywhere. Britt Mayer is a mom, community activist, and founder of Rooted Wings. Britt, welcome back to the show. Um, there's a lot to get to today, a lot to get to. I want to start with this. This is just breaking. This is a, a weird turn, but it's right up your alley. Britney Spears is coming out with a, with a book, The Woman in Me. This poor girl, I just feel like she's been so exploited by her family, by the people around her. She's obviously not well mentally. Mm -hmm. And now she's writing a book, which people make millions off of, probably not as much Britney. And she reveals in it, apparently, because the People magazine got their hands on it in Daily Mail reporting, that she had an abortion when she was dating Justin Timberlake, when she found herself pregnant at just 19. She writes, it was a surprise, but for me, it wasn't a tragedy. I love Justin so much. I always expected us to have a family together one day. This would just be much earlier than I'd anticipated. He said, we weren't ready to have a baby in our lives, that we were way too young. I'm sure people will hate me for this, but I agreed not to have the baby. I don't know if that was the right decision. If it had been left up to me alone, I never would have done it. And yet Justin was so sure that he didn't want to be a father. She said mm -hmm. the abortion was one of the most agonizing things I've ever experienced in my life. They dated back in 1999 to 2002 and both went on to have children with other spouses later. I don't know. To me, like, we don't talk about things like that. Like, I applaud her for admitting it. It does feel like a personal detail that, you know, others would have chosen not to share. But I applaud her for revealing it because there are real risks to this sort of carefree, oh, yeah, we're going to have premarital sex and we're going to you know, have the celebrity lifestyle, like, and, and if you find yourself pregnant and you're not yet ready to be a mother or a father, these are your choices. You either mm -hmm. have to give birth to a baby you cho you didn't really want to have and raise it or potentially give it up, which also is emotionally tough, or you have to, you have to kill your own baby. I mean, whether you're pro-choice or not, you can't argue that killing that, that, that life growing inside of you is killing a baby on its way to becoming a viable baby. Mm hmm. Yeah, I I 
bravo to her, you know, and I know that she's definitely like mentally unstable right now. Um, but bravo to her for coming forward and, um, being so vulnerable in like, just saying that this was traumatic and not hiding behind, um, you know, women's rights and women's empowerment. Um, I, I am encouraged that she is coming forward and speaking publicly. And I think this could be a significant point of healing for her. You know, if this truly was a, um, a very traumatic experience, like she said, then um, hopefully this will be the beginning of that trauma being able to heal in speaking, you know, the words. Um, a lot of times victims, we, you know, shove things down for so long and think that we're fine, we're fine. But when we speak it and say, it wasn't fine, that's when healing can start to set in because you're no longer on the defensive. So my hope would be that this is a step toward healing um, for Brittany. You're so right. It, what, and what a change from, yeah, scream, shout your abortion. You know, I'm proud of my abortion. This is somebody who's been one of America's sweethearts saying, I did this thing with one of the most famous men on the planet. And I'm really deeply regretful about the whole experience and how painful it was mm -hmm. for her. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that memoir is going to be quite a bestseller. I don't know. It just, the way it's going for her, I very much worry she's going to wind up like Anna Nicole Smith, unless there's some sort of meaningful intervention. You know, she's just, yeah, she just so seems sad. to be in a downward spiral. Right. Exactly. And unlike, um, unlike so many of these people who find themselves in the news in this way, what has she ever done? That's like wrong. You know, Brittany seems to have mental health problems, but she's not out there hurting anybody. You know, you see, like she ran up to that basketball player and tried to tap him on the back and the security guard punched her in the face. Like, mm. I just feel like so many, she's been punched in the face in so many different ways. And the yeah, way she's yeah. living in the Instagram posts are are just proof of the, the hard knocks she's received. I realize she's celebrity. She's famous. She's got a bunch yeah. of money. She's got a lot of fans, but it just seems like the real truth of Britney's life has been, it's been a very difficult long haul. Yeah. And she's grown up in the spotlight. You know, she was like the little Disney star and then she was America's sweetheart and she never had any chance. I, I think to know who she was outside of being an actress, you know? So I think that, um, has got to be so confusing for her coming into her age now and probably realizing, you know, she, she never knew who she was and she made decisions like the abortion to protect her image. And, um, you know, well, and then because he wanted her to, Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something to talk about, right? Like that, that pressure from men that I don't want it. So you kill it. And then you deal with the trauma, you know, that needs to be talked about. Um, and I'm thankful that she, that she is, I think that this could, like I said, I think it could be a starting point for her to really, um, discover who she is outside of who everyone has always wanted her to be and demanded that she be, um, so I'm interested to see in the coming months too, like the new Britney. Hopefully it is. I really hope it's just a, a time of change for her and healing. Last week, I don't know if you caught this, but Jennifer Billet came on the show last Friday and talked all about the money behind the transgender industry and how, you know, we may think that these kids are naturally migrating towards this madness on their own, but there's a ton of money. The Pritzkers, she went down the list of who's been pushing it trying to get it into schools, trying to make it acceptable, trying to make it a thing in, in the health ed or the sex ed. I mean, it was really eye-opening and disturbing. And she talked about how it's really just sort of this erasure of women, just bit by bit, just erasing. Uh, and it's, it's men disowning their own sex, right? And I was thinking about her when I saw this uh, Chaya Rachik, the woman behind Libs of TikTok. She's amazing. She's been on the show. 
she pointed out that Men's Health magazine uh, has a piece up now in which they refer to women because they're talking about how to like get it on with a woman, giving advice to their men, their male readers, how to please a woman in the bed. They refer to women. I'm not kidding you as vulva owners. Oh, my vulva gosh. owners. I'll read you what I can because it's R-rated. At Men's Health, we've written extensively about how to perform oral sex on a, what, vagina? A woman? Is that what you're looking for? On a vulva. How to- Oh, it's gross. I'm going to skip that next part. Do X to a person with a vulva. Don't forget that the majority of vulva owners cannot orgasm via penetration alone. I mean, this is is Men's Health. This is a- Major magazine, vulva owners. And no, like Ugh. this just passes, Britt. This just passes. People don't even, oh, okay, okay, got it. Oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. <laughs> I hate it so much. It's such like, I, I don't know if anyone is still asleep at the wheel at this point, but this is such a complete hostile takeover of our language. And in that, it's redefining the terms of who we as women are like that. That's what this is. Saul Alinsky in Rules for Radicals, he said, if you control the language, you control the masses. And we are being worked out of our identity as women. We're not a gender. We're not a feeling. We're not a vulva owner. Thank you, men's health. You can step out of the conversation. We're women. That's an identity. That's a sex. That's who we are. That's part of our language. It's been fundamental, a fundamental part of our language since since the inception of America and even prior, you know, to now try to rework the language so that we're taken out of the picture and we're just, what are we then? We're just flush with vulva, like vulvas that we own. Like how absolutely degrading and demeaning to twist who we are um, as women. I take such offense. And I, I wonder if they're going to walk that back because that's just vile and disgusting. It, it's so, so gross, so wrong. They need to hear from all of us that it's a hard no uh, on yeah. trying to change the terminology that refers to a woman into something that reduces us to our vulvas. Mm-mm. It's disgusting. Um, more of the same, Dylan Mulvaney accepts the Woman of the Year award from some UK publication called Attitude. Look at this. Woman of the Year Award, supported by Virgin Atlantic, goes to Dylan Mulvaney. Some see me as the Woman of the Year, some see me as a Woman of a Year and some change, as I only publicly came out online 560 days ago. And some people don't see me as a woman at all, no matter how hard I try or what I wear, or what I say, or what surgeries I get, I will never reach an acceptable version of womanhood by those hateful people's standards. But as long as I have the queer community that sees me for my truth, I'm going to be okay. There's so much wrong with what he just said, like that that end tagline with the queer community. Well, what about uh, gays against groomers? Has he run that by them, you know, to just just say that they're supportive of him coming out as a woman and taking our awards? And I want to know who is applauding in in that audience. You know, are those women applauding or are those the queer community? Um, if he wants a bunch to of say men he's masquerading a- as women. Yeah. And if he wants to say he's a woman and live in that fantasy, have at it. You do you do you, Dylan, and you can stay over in the UK and Posey Parker can 
have at it with you. But as soon as, yeah, but as soon as you're, you're exemplifying who I am and saying that we're all supposed to participate in this make believe like that's where it crosses the line. You, he is not a woman. He's correct in saying that he, no matter how many surgeries he gets, no matter how much lipstick he puts on, no matter how many sparkly dresses he puts on, he'll never be accepted as a woman. He should have just stopped there. You won't, he, you are not a woman. You never correct. will be a woman. It's like, never period. Full stop. Sorry. Period. Yeah. No, sorry. Not, what a not joke. Sorry. What a joke. I know it is a joke and shame on Virgin Atlantic for sponsoring that event and that award. Shame on you. You know mm-hmm. better. This is uh, some appeal to its leftist followers, I guess, or leftist flyers. You can't find a better cause to endorse than Dylan Mulvaney as woman of the year. Fuck off. Yeah. Um, okay. Goodbye. The sports problem that Megan Rapino says doesn't exist continues to exist. Transgender cyclists taking the gold and the silver medals at a Chicago women's cycling race, the Chicago Cyclocross Cup. It just happened where two trans cyclists, two men, took the top spots. Uh, Tessa Johnson, 25, won first, and Evelyn Williamson, 30, placed second. There was only one biological female, one actual woman on the podium uh, who won the bronze. And so this woman had to stand up there just pretending that she wasn't the top woman, that these two guys next to her were fair competitors. And yet another medal, two of them actually, goes to two dudes. Ugh. I, I would encourage you girls and you women to stop participating. I know that sounds so hard. I was I was a competitive athlete. Like I get taking a knee is a hard thing to do. But if Colin Kaepernick can do it over his lame ideas and he can take a knee, I think that we women are going to have to, you know, we're going to have to fasten up our bootstraps on this and do the same, you know, refuse to play. Say, I will not compete against a man. I'm not going to do it. And I will take whatever anger and ire there is because it's not fair. I won't do it. It it always makes me disappointed just to see um, the the women standing up there still holding the bronze. It's like, no, don't just don't don't participate. Make them irrelevant by saying I won't participate in your games and your facade. I'm not going to compete against a man in a women women's tournament. I won't do it. I think that's what we have to really keep hammering is just take a knee and say, I won't do it. Imagine if that woman who just didn't stand on the on the podium, if she just didn't go up there. Right. Yes. That like the third place finisher. And if all the photos were of an, an empty platform where the bi- biological woman should be, that would also be very powerful. I mean, just totally do something agree. for the love of God. Otherwise, you're setting all the other girls who come behind you, our girls, you know, yep. our daughters up to have to deal with this later. Like, be strong, be brave, mm-hmm. do something to stand up to this. Otherwise, it's going to keep happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to ask you about it's Halloween time. And I, we, I tried to take my kids to a haunted house the other night, but we couldn't make it because it was it was rained out. So they canceled it. I did not even realize there might be a threat at these haunted houses of perversion. I was expecting just like skeletons and witches. But you've been calling attention to something called Knott's Berry Farm, which they are calling it not scary farm, I guess, like they're trying to get people to come for a haunted house. What's going on? Yeah, so Knott's Berry Farm has kind of been like that family-friendly, sweetheart amusement park in California. 
And they uh, recently decided that they were going, they do, they host something called Not Scary Farm. And um, some videos leaked where you have performers at this Not Scary Farm. It's a big event. They're on stage. And as you can see, they're, um, they're in oh, wow. hyper-sexualized costumes. Oh, wow. um, demonic. There's like devil allegories going on. And they're in, you know, all, all the sex stuff. Um, it, they think that it's appropriate for a 13 year old to go to this. So what I'm saying is, Hey, parents, like you need to be fully aware of what's coming at your kids as we keep saying, but just because something is quote unquote family friendly or says that anyone over 13, you know, it's, it's fine for you. Like you need to really check and see what is being promoted at these family friendly events, because clearly this is not family friendly. It's deranged. There was a story we covered at great length uh, back last spring. I think I talked to you about this. And it's about a man who's out at uh, the University of Wyoming who decided to pledge the sorority Kappa Kappa Gamma. And his name is Artemis Langford. And he's a man posing as a woman. He wants us to believe he's a woman. Um, I'll give you a look at Artemis. Uh, this is SOT 24. This is what Artemis actually looks like. Communicating with friends, uh, putting that you know social network that you have uh, from in-person to an online format uh, would be extraordinarily beneficial. And I wish that I had developed that better, but living in a new environment, uh, it was really difficult. So that's Artemis in 2021. I mean, it's not ancient history. Living as a man, University of Wyoming, then suddenly he's a she and starts wearing a dress. And decides not only to do that, but to pledge Kappa Kappa Gamma because he really wants to feel part of a sisterhood. It's really important to him. So like a bunch of lunatics, Kappa Kappa Gamma, the, the head, you know, like sort of the, the group, the national chapter, says, yeah, we want him. Uh, our pledge to only admit girls, we didn't really mean that. We'll take boys too. And they pressure the girls. And a lot of the girls at Kappa Kappa Gamma were like, yes, yes, we're inclusive. Let's do it. And started pressuring the other girls. They wound up taking a vote in which they told the girls, you cannot vote no on him unless you have a reason other than the fact that he's actually a man. And lo and behold, he got in. Well, then all these things started to happen to make the sisters feel uncomfortable. And blah, 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 blah. They filed a lawsuit against Kappa Kappa Gamma saying, you breached your pledge to us to make this a female-only space. And they lost. Now they say they may appeal. I don't know. But there was a scathing decision against them from a judge who kept referring to Artemis as a she, who refused to define the word woman uh, for purposes of the case, which is what it all came down to, um, and just completely rejected these women's claims that they were genuinely disturbed and threatened by this man prancing around their sorority. Uh, well, now Artemis gets the Washington Post glossy treatment in a piece by someone named William Wan. Um, he's got, okay, this is the headline. A trans woman joined a sorority. Then her new sisters turned on her. <laughs> and this thing is absurd. They talk about Artemis like he is just this beleaguered young woman with tons of problems that these other mean girls refuse to see. And that when the story broke and the lawsuit was filed, they referred to him as him, as Mr. Smith which is the pseudonym they chose initially before he outed his name. Um, as she read the allegations, Artemis, Artemis felt angry and betrayed. Okay, so Artemis was angry 
that the girls, the women in the sorority, didn't want a man sitting there as they did their yoga, changed into their pajamas, took their shirts off in the morning and went to the shower. He's the victim, you see. Even though now he's won the lawsuit, he's the victim, and the Washington Post is happy to play along about how hard he had it where they filed a lawsuit and they gave interviews, including right here at the Megyn Kelly show. Mm. I mean, oh, oh, so much to say. Uh, well, first of all, we all know he's a man. Like, I, I don't think there's anyone that truly believes Artemis is a woman. And if they do, they need um, they need help. He's not he's a, he's a dude. He is an authentic male man, adult, grown up male. That's what he is. That's what he will always be. Uh, what is interesting in all of this is it's really showcasing that it's never enough. It's never enough for these deranged men to put on lipstick and call themselves a girl. It's never enough for them to have a pronoun she. It's never enough for that. We can keep going. It's never enough until they're in our sororities. They're taking our freaking gold medals. They're taking our crowns at homecoming. That's when it's enough. When they fully, completely conquered womanhood. That's when it's enough. That's mm -hmm. And we all need to be very awake to the whole scheme. That as soon as we start saying, oh, well, we'll sympathize and we'll We'll use the she and the her, like the Washington article was all, all over. As soon as we start seeding our language, that's then it's just the next step because that's not enough. It's the next step that's required until they are in our sororities and they're taking our crowns and they're taking our gold medals and our positions and our scholarships. It's a full yeah. conquering of women by men. The whole thing, this guy, William, a man... <laughs> offers no perspective from the other side, which is women, women, actual women who object to the loss of their spaces. That like, that's the issue. The whole thing is framed as the women who objected to this man are bullies. They're mean girls for not wanting to share their space with Artemis, who they point out has autism, as if mm -hmm. that's a reason to allow him to pass as a woman. No, that's probably what led to Artemis's confusion because there's a high percentage of kids with autism who stumble upon the gender ideology and decide, oh, that's my actual problem. They have, yes. they tend to have obsessive thinking. They go down these Reddit rabbit holes. They spend hours a day online. And before you know it, poof, I'm not other, I'm special. I'm cool. I have the thing that people will celebrate, not the thing that people use in a way that can be negative. And mm -hmm. so, no, there's no even pause by William Wan on that. It's just Artemis is a victim. And there's this, there's this, okay, listen to this. Artemis, by the way, is 6'2", weighs 260. Um, other accusations honed in on the social awkwardness that Artemis says was partly a symptom of her autism in the lawsuit. This is where he, the, the writer is now going to blame Artemis's bizarre behavior around the sorority girls on his autism. You see, this is the girl should have known it's, uh, it's autism. It's not that he's a man, heterosexual man, by the way, uh, quote from the lawsuit. He has several times chosen to sit for hours on the couch in the second floor common area. He does not study. He does not speak to the women who live there. 
Mr. Smith, because he went by Smith, they alleged he was Smith in the lawsuit just to protect his anonymity initially. Then everybody was outed. Uh, Smith has, while watching members enter the sorority house, had an erection visible through his leggings. Other times he had a pillow on his lap. Okay. You how is, does, does autism cause erections? I don't like, I've never heard. I didn't, I never heard that that was a side effect of anything on the autism spectrum. Mm -mm. It's so many excuses. It's so many continual excuses for these deranged men. And it's giving them super rights over women. Women have rights. That's why we have to be so careful with our words. And for all the listeners who still think, you know, they're just being kind to call a dude a girl. It's not. It's not. You're literally tearing apart our language to give men super rights that our grandmothers worked for years and years and years to gain for us. And we're tearing it all down. Womanhood, women, it's not a, it's not an idea or a gender. Women is a sex. We have rights as a sex. And as soon as we seed that and give it up and we start labeling men as women like this Artemis male, we're giving them super rights and losing our rights that we held as sacred and special after so many of our grandmothers worked for those. Uh, And I just want us to be very clear on that, that it is no longer kind. It is no longer nice to misuse our language. Men are men and women are women. And this guy is a man. And if I, gosh, if my daughter was in that sorority, oof, oof. It's a, that's a hard, that's a hard no. Like we have got to do better. And there has to be a, a reckoning for what we're doing to women's rights. And our daughter, like our daughters that are having to see a dude dressed in a dress, having an erection in their sorority house. No. What is and wrong even, even with this our piece culture? Gets into a separate allegation in the lawsuit about Artemis allegedly having a, an erection in another instance. And then points out that some of the text messages be- between the sisters undermined that possibility in a different incident doesn't even try to under undermine the incident of him sitting there with the with the pillow on his on his lap and the allegation that while sitting on the couch he had an erection i mean no it, sorry, it's not William, true journalism you may not appreciate no. this but when we go into our sorority spaces we don't want to see a hard penis okay unless it's a consensual sex act between us and a man we don't want it sitting on the, in the lap of somebody who's supposed to be a sister on the couch of Kappa Kappa Gamma. <laughs> oh, it's so insane, Megan. It's so insane. And you know what? Shame on that that journalist. That's not journalism. He didn't even show all the sides. That was a propaganda piece to keep promoting yes. this gender ideology cult. And like you said, follow the money. That's that's what this yeah. is. So yeah. So well done. He showed his cards. Yeah. Well, you know what? Artemis, you won. You're not the victim. You obviously have a lot of trouble and you really should seek help. It's not going to help you at 6-2-2-30 to put on a dress. The problems no. that you're having right now were created by you. You chose the wrong solution to the issues mm-hmm. that you have. I recommend you find a non-gender obsessed therapist and start mm-hmm. seeing that person for the issues that are actually underlying your issues. And I recommend the other girls get the hell out of Kappa Kappa mm. Gamma ASAP. So all right. I want to move on to other issues because you live in the San Diego area and San Diego is a mess right now. Um, something happened with respect to the border and the immigration problems in San Diego that I know you have a lot of concerns about in terms of this immigration like processing center. What's happening? 
Yeah. So I've been following the border because I live in San Diego County. I speak with a lot of the politicians down here. Um, and I've been following it closely because I've been seeing it as such a threat that our border has just become a welcome mat. And, um, we, you can see it and sense it in San Diego. Well, as of yesterday, we have uh, just in the last month, we have 19,000 illegal foreigners that have been brought to or crossed over into San Diego County. And those are only the ones that have been counted. There are that the number is very small compared to the actual number. So 19,000. So a few weeks back, San Diego County unanimously declared a humanitarian crisis at the border, which is great, right? Well, then a week later, San Diego County said, hey, we have $3 million sitting over from taxpayer funds for COVID funding. And it's just sitting there. So let's find a loophole to reallocate that $3 million that we have to blow through by December. Let's spend it on a welcome center for illegal foreigners in the heart of San Diego County, a mile away from a school. And they voted on it and they passed it with no, no citizen having to vote on it. That's our money that's being reallocated now to create a welcome processing center for illegal foreigners in San Diego. So what that does is that flags our our governor, Gavin Newsom, and the federal government that, hey, San Diego's on it. They have money to burn. They have four walls and a roof, and they are set up to start processing these illegal foreigners, send them down. So we're on track now right. for 56,000. I believe the number is 56, maybe 52, 52,000 or 56,000 illegal foreigners that are documented by the end of this year in San Diego County. That number is going to blow up we have no resources. Our our facilities are completely full and overwhelmed in San Diego. We don't we don't have we are, we're doing the street releasing here in Oceanside and San Ysidro. We don't have the capability to welcome illegal foreigners, and it's not even like a welcome center where they're going to have a bed and food. We don't even we don't have money for that. No, it's just a welcome center. Like you know, you get off a cruise ship and they welcome you. That's what they're spending our money on in San Diego. It's like a pina colada. Welcome to America. Great. Have at it. And honestly, it's like we have enough problems with people coming across the southern border with fentanyl or who want to sell fentanyl or fentanyl lace pills and so on. But the latest stats show that we're getting a fair amount, a disturbing amount of illegal immig immigrants coming from some of these radicalized Muslim countries. And where are they going to go? And how is it to be a Jewish San Diegan, who's now got to deal with that coming across the border and going mm -hmm. to school with your kid. I mean, we just saw this video out of San Diego of them stomping all over the Israeli flag. This is just, I think, yesterday. Look, we cut it. Here it is. Stop 20. Oh, you mean you didn't want us to see you? Well, we do. And you're wearing a terrorist headscarf. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, we don't know. You know, I don't know if those people are citizens or not. No one knows. Um, but the reality is, like you said, we are importing illegal foreigners who do not care about our constitutions or our laws. They have no regard for that in mass 
into our nation. While everything with Israel is imploding, we are bringing in foreigners from those surrounding areas into our nation unchecked. You know what they do, Megan, in San Diego when they because I spoke with uh, one of the San Diego County supervisors just last week for a debrief on all this. Do you know what they do when the buses show up in San Diego County? They Mm -hmm. they the foreigners get off the bus and the NGOs rush in with cell phone chargers, charge up their cell phones because they already they have phones. So they get their water, they get their iPhone charged, and then they get to call whoever it is that they call. And then that's it. That's the last we see of them. We have no idea who these people truly are, what their motives are, where they're actually going. We just know that we're going to charge up their cell phone. They can call their uncle in Boise, Idaho. And then, and then that's it. While everything we're seeing right now, like you, I know you're talking to Josh, is this like world war three while everything is on fire, our border is not secure. This this has to be intentional. And that video you just showed, get ready for more of that. We're bringing people in who hate America. They're not coming here in mass because they love America. This is a Trojan horse in migrants' clothes. And we ought to be intelligent enough to say that there is something wrong when we have 56,000 estimated to pour in to San Diego County in the coming months. And we're welcoming them unchecked, unvetted. This is why DeSantis said at the top of the hour, these people who are here on visas espousing this ideology need to go. Bye. Go back. You want to change 100%. America? Find find another country to change. Go back and work on your own country. We don't want your changes uh, here at all. But I mean, like we saw it in San Diego. We saw that. I mean, you saw that video out of Dearborn, Michigan, right? It was just, mm-hmm. I mean, wall to wall mm-hmm. with these people chanting pro-Palestinian, anti-Israeli, I mean, mm-hmm. bigoted, uh, anti-Semitic chant from the river to the sea, which is a call to eradicate Israel and Israelis. Yep. That's a mass, a mass murder call. That's what that is. Uh, right here in our own country, right here in Michigan. I mean, it's go- it happened in New York, what we saw in London with just tens of thousands on the street, not to mention Paris, where they've opened their borders. Every time we've had a Western country open its borders in the way that's happening right now in the South of America, um, it's led to disaster, ruination and despair. And right now we're not doing anything about it. You know, we're you got like piecemeal governors trying to stop it. But we have a president who doesn't seem to much care. No. And we've been told for so long that if we don't, you know, if we don't support free speech and if we don't, which is separate, right? Yes to free speech, 100 percent. But if we don't applaud whatever that free speech is, then we're hateful and we're bigoted. But we should be intelligent enough to say that there is something very wrong when you have a terrorist organization over in Gaza that is slaughtering the Israeli people. And then over here, the responses, you have universities like Harvard putting out a sympathetic letter and you have our streets flying the pro pro Hamas Palestinian flag next to our American flag. Something is very, very wrong. And I think that that conversation needs to get louder that questioning of saying what is actually going on here because it's starting to look very unstable. 
it's starting to look like something is really wrong and that this narrative that has been pumped into our colleges and universities, higher ed, is spitting out all these young people who hate what what we have learned from Israel as a nation. So much of us as a nation is based on the founding principles of Israel. Like we take so much from that. And so now you have something very antithetical happening where you have our young people in the streets saying that they're pro the destruction of Israel, which actually turns on us. And we have to start I think that conversation needs to be uh, amplified and not we shouldn't just hide away and say, oh, well, they get free speech, you know, the right to. No, we can counter that and say this is insane and this is not American and this is going to get very bad very quickly if we don't continually condemn it as the evil that it is. And part of it, I think, is that we have lost our language, you know, going back to the whole trans ideology. We've lost our ability to say a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And we've also lost our language in being able to say words like evil. This is objectively evil. This is objectively wrong. And we as Americans do not stand for that. And we will not stand with people who are supporting what is objectively evil and objectively wrong. We have to find our language again. Well said. And if we don't, next thing you know, we're Volvo owners. Next thing you know, Dylan Mulvaney is woman of the year. Next thing you know, you have Americans openly cheering mass murder and terror against babies. Americans cheering that. It's it's a dark, dark slope. Yeah. Britt Mayer, so good to see you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Megan. Always a pleasure. And thanks to all of you for joining us today, all this week. This is a heavy time. It's important to bring you the truth and let you decide for yourselves. I want to tell you that tomorrow we have Dennis Prager and Buck Sexton here. Very much looking forward to speaking to those two. Uh, important perspectives, and we hope you'll share in that with us. See you then. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.